Hello, friends. Thanks so much for listening. Merry Christmas. It's Christmas Eve, and I hope you are having a wonderful Advent celebration. I hope you are having some time to reflect on God's greatness and His goodness and His kindness and uh, just how wonderful Jesus is. In this podcast, I'd like to ask the question, what does God want for Christmas? Of course, around Christmas time, if you're around children, they like to talk about uh, what they're going to get for Christmas, what they want for Christmas, and uh, hopefully they learn how to ask others what other people want for Christmas, and they like to get others what they want for Christmas as well. And in this podcast, I'd like us to consider the question, what does God want for Christmas? And whenever we want to know something about God, the best place to start is with Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus, Colossians 2.9 tells us, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And so in Jesus, we can see what God is like. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 tell us, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So when we want to know something about God, we look at Jesus and we can find out. So if we want to see what God wants for Christmas, we should look at what was God trying to accomplish by sending Jesus Christ. The whole celebration of Christmas is obviously to celebrate the birth of Jesus, the advent of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus Christ to the earth. And so what was God seeking to accomplish by sending Jesus? And so to start us off, I'd like to read two Christmas poems. This first Christmas poem was written around 70 AD. It says, in his very nature, he was God. Jesus was equal with God. But Jesus didn't take advantage of that fact. Instead, he made himself nothing. He did this by taking on the nature of a servant. He was made just like human beings. He appeared as a man. He was humble and obeyed God completely. He did this even though it led to his death. Even worse, he died on a cross. So God lifted him up to the highest place. God gave him the name that is above every name. When the name of Jesus is spoken, everyone will kneel down to worship him. Everyone in heaven and on earth and under the earth will kneel down to worship him. Everyone's mouth will say that Jesus Christ is Lord, and God the Father will receive the glory. And that, of course, is Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 11 in the New International Reader's Version. Here's another Christmas poem. This one is written 700 years before the first Christmas. About 700 BC, this was written. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7 in the New International Reader's Version. So what does God want for Christmas? What was God seeking to accomplish by sending Jesus? Well, Ephesians 
chapter 1 from verses 7 to 10 tells us this. In him, that's talking about Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, that's one of those really long Pauline sentences, and it's there's just so much in that. We kind of have to go step by step and break it down just a little bit, because there are also words in there that we don't really use outside of the church context, which can sometimes also make these verses a little bit challenging to understand, but he says, in him we have redemption. And so Webster's dictionary of what it means to redeem is to buy back or to get or win back, to free from what distresses or harms, such as to free from captivity by payment of ransom, to change for the better, to repair, to restore. So Webster's is telling us that Jesus came to buy us back or to free us from what distresses or harms us, to free us from captivity by payment of a ransom. So Jesus ransoms us from the wages of sin through his blood. We're redeemed from the consequences of our sin. Jesus became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. The death and the punishment that we deserved was placed upon him. And then he says, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to uh, in Christ, we have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to, according to always means depending on or in agreement with the riches of his grace. So we have the forgiveness of our trespasses. Now to forgive in Webster's dictionary means to stop feeling anger toward someone who has done something wrong, to stop blaming someone, to stop feeling anger about something, to stop requiring payment of money that is owed. So God has redeemed us he has uh, freed us from what distresses or harms us. And he has forgiven us. He stopped being angry toward us. He stopped blaming us. He stopped feeling anger about our sin. And uh, he did this according to, that means depending on or in agreement with, the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. So the redemption that God gave us and the forgiveness of our trespasses was not what God was seeking to accomplish ultimately. He did that so that he could make known to us the mystery of his will. So our redemption and our forgiveness is pointing toward God's greater purpose. God's eternal purpose is what Paul calls it in Ephesians chapter 3. So the final purpose was not simply to redeem us. The final purpose was not simply to forgive us. The final purpose was to accomplish the mystery of his will, which he has now made known to us, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. So when Christ came, Galatians described that at the fullness of time, at just the right time, Christ came into the earth and then God made known to those people who trusted Christ the mystery of his will. And here is the mystery of his will, to unite all things in him. That him is talking about Jesus, things in heaven and things on the earth. So the goal is not simply redemption. 
The goal is not simply the forgiveness of sins. The goal is not to get humanity into heaven. The goal is to get the government of God, the reign of God, the dominion of God into the visible created realm, into the earth. So God's will, which was a mystery, it was hidden, is now revealed. And that will is to unite everything in heaven with everything on earth through his son, Jesus Christ. God wants to unite the invisible spiritual world with the visible created world through his son, Jesus. So what was God seeking to accomplish through sending Jesus? Well, Jesus says it this way in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled. Remember, that's what we just said in Ephesians, that at the fullness of time, he revealed the mystery of his will. So Jesus says the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So that phrase, the kingdom of God is at hand. There's an asterisk in the ESV. It could also be translated, the kingdom of God has come near. Now, it's important to remember that the kingdom of God is not heaven. Heaven is part of God's kingdom. Heaven is the, the seat of the government of God. Heaven is God's throne. The earth is his footstool. But the kingdom of God is wherever Jesus Christ is has dominion. It's the king's domain. So when Christ came and drove out demons, he said, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, the kingdom of God has come among you. So the kingdom of God is near, is not saying the end of the world is near. It's not some kind of apocalyptic statement. It's not talking about later when you die and you go enter into heaven, then you'll be in the kingdom of God. No, he's saying that is the good news that the government of God is near you right now. So Jesus comes and he demonstrates the kingdom of God and he makes a way for us to enter into it. In Luke twenty two twenty, Jesus says, I'm making a new covenant. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, it talks about that Jesus has secured a new covenant for us. So Jesus has made a way for you and I and non-Jews now to enter into the covenant that God has with Israel. And we get to become participants, partakers of the promises and of the relationship that Israel enjoyed with God. And they forsake that relationship when they didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah. They forsook their opportunity to be in covenant and they missed what God was trying to do. And so uh, we get to be included through God's grace in this covenant relationship with God that Jesus guarantees for us. The old covenant was maintained through the people keeping the law, which they weren't able to do so that they weren't able to keep the covenant. And they were frequently punished and chastised and eventually, you know, sent into exile. But in the new covenant, we don't have to keep the law to maintain the covenant. We have to trust in Jesus Christ. And Christ is the guarantor of our covenant. And so praise the Lord. We are now included and we can become part of God's family and we can be in his kingdom, we can have Jesus Christ, God's son, as our king. And God's rule can be close to us. We can have the government of God running our lives. What an unspeakable, uh, unfathomable honor for us to have Jesus Christ reigning over us 
as our king. Now, the life that we receive for our parents cannot enter the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 15.50 says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that if you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. So we have to be born again by the Holy Spirit of God, and we have to receive this new life that Jesus is offering through himself, that Christ came and he was the substitution for our sin. He was uh, the one who paid the price for our sin so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be redeemed, so that we could come into union with Christ and we could be vessels of the Holy Spirit. And so in the Old Covenant, the touch point of heaven with earth was the temple, and that's where God's presence dwelt. And if you wanted to seek the presence of God, you had to go to Jerusalem and go into the temple. Now, in the New Covenant, the touch point of heaven with earth is in the believer, that the believer's body is the temple of God, and God dwells on the inside of every believer. And according to Jeremiah 31, he has written his law upon our hearts. And this is part of the new covenant that God told his people about through the prophets for millennia, that this thing was coming. And praise the Lord, we get to enjoy the the grace of God in our lifetimes. We are the laborers in the vineyard who only worked one hour, but we get to enjoy the full payment of the whole day. We get all the blessings of God's grace, but we have not had to labor under the law or you know the the hardship of the old covenant because the old covenant even though the covenant was good the law was perfect nothing wrong with the law but the flesh was weak and it was unable to keep the law and so it just brought wrath on the people who were in that covenant praise the lord now we are in a covenant with god but we are in a covenant that is guaranteed by jesus and we have participation not through the law but through the spirit So God is accomplishing what he wants to achieve, what he wants for Christmas, he is accomplishing through Jesus. And Jesus Christ comes, and before Christ, we were far from God, but Jesus brings us near. Before Christ, we were in sin, but Jesus makes us righteous. Before Christ, we were darkness, but Jesus makes us light. Before Christ, we were under the domain of the devil, but Jesus brings us into the kingdom of God. Before Christ, we were dead. Jesus makes us alive. Before Christ, we were separated from God. Jesus unites us with God. Before Christ, we were bound in lies. Jesus sets us free in the truth. Before Christ, we were slaves, but Jesus makes us sons. So Jesus took everything that we deserve so that we can have everything that he deserves. The Bible says that if we're sons, we are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. So we get to inherit everything that Jesus inherits. Jesus took everything that we should have had so that we can have everything that he has. Praise the Lord. What an unspeakable, just a matchless, indescribable gift of grace. So what was God trying to accomplish through sending Jesus? What God was accomplishing was to build a multi-ethnic royal family to represent his government on the earth. That has been God's desire from the very beginning. When he created mankind, when he created humanity, male and female in his image, he made them. And he said, you will have dominion 
over the earth. And God created man to be the visible representation of his goodness, his image on the earth, to administrate his rule on the earth. And sadly, Adam and Eve failed, everyone after them failed, until the coming of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who delivered man from the curse of sin, from the oppression of the devil, and has delivered us and transferred us into his wonderful kingdom of light. And so from Genesis to Revelation, what God is seeking to establish is a royal family that will represent his government on the earth. Remember the Christmas poems that we started with? What does it say? It says that at the name of Jesus, everyone will kneel down to him and worship him. And everyone's mouth will say that Jesus Christ is the Lord. God is establishing his king to rule over the earth. And the Christmas poem from Isaiah, it says that the government shall be upon his shoulder and of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. The government of God is like a mustard seed that starts off the smallest of all seeds, and then it grows into a tree. It's like the leaven in the dough that is just a tiny, tiny part, but eventually it works its way throughout the dough and allows the whole lump of dough to rise and and to be leavened. So this is how God is working. He started with this tiny, tiny, small seed, Jesus Christ, who fell to the earth and who died, who gave his life up as a ransom for the people of God so that many could come to faith, so that Jesus would not be the only begotten Son of God, but would be the firstborn of many sons. Praise the Lord. What does God want for Christmas? He wants you to join his multi-ethnic royal family and represent his government on the earth. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let every heart prepare room for Jesus Christ and surrender to him and give God what he wants for Christmas. Let the earth rejoice that the Lord reigns. The Bible says that the earth groans for the revealing of the sons of God, that this is what the earth is longing for. And this is what God wants for Christmas. This is God's eternal purpose to unite everything in heaven with everything on earth through his son, Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. Thank you so much for listening. Merry Christmas.